Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. What's going on in the Middle East? Well, we'll cover that ground uh, about uh, 10.30 or so uh, when we have the Epic Times on the program. In the meantime, uh, I went on a rampage uh, a little while ago because there is a legislator who wants to raise taxes on cigarettes. And I, I can't see a reason to do this. I, I, don't, I don't understand the logic behind sin taxes. Uh, I don't understand the logic behind the government, federal government banning menthol cigarettes. I mean, this overregulation of everything we do, just get the hell out of my life. Don't try to protect me from myself. Well, he or his office called back. It was him. It was him. He yes. called back, said he will come on the program. Uh, today is not a good day. But uh, we will bring him on and find out why he thinks it's his job to disproportionately raise uh, taxes on cigarettes. Why whatever the state sales tax isn't sufficient, I don't know. But we'll do that. In the meantime, Professor Murray Sabrin is on. You can find his column at Substack. It's murraysabrin.substack.com. Uh, he will be appearing in Fort Miles. Uh, Fort Miles. That's it's a new place. Uh, he doesn't it's a know new he's city gonna, up there. He yeah. doesn't know he's going to be down there, but he will be at Fort Myers uh, in Fort Myers, Florida, on November fourth. He's going to be a speaker uh, at uh, this event. Uh, a Mises uh, Institute, I believe, is uh, putting this together. Let's find out, Professor. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Gary. How you been? I'm doing pretty well. This is a, uh, a, a, a deal put on by the Mises Institute, is that right? Yeah, the Mises Circle uh, has events uh, throughout the country, and uh, my wife and I are sponsoring this event because um, I feel it's my obligation to uh, have as many people know about what's going on in the economy and the Mises Institute economists are probably the best in the country who uh, understand the problem and have solutions. And I'll be giving a presentation on uh, the research I've done over the years to show um, where the uh, economy is, where the stock market is, and where the economy is going over the next several years. Because from all the research I've done when I taught financial history in the United States, it's eerily similar. Uh, this decade of the 2020s is eerily similar to the 1920s. If you remember what happened in the 1920s, we started off with the pandemic, the flu pandemic, global flu pandemic that killed millions of people around the world. And then we had we had a depression, uh, the forgotten depression, as it was so-called after World War One, because the Federal Reserve printed so much money, as other central banks around the world did during the uh, during the conflict, and that gave us uh, the boom of. Um, and then, of course, we got the inflation, then we got the depression, and then uh, the depression was over very quickly as uh, President uh, Harding didn't do anything to. Uh, quote, stimulate the economy. This is when economists were real economists. They didn't see government expenditures and the Federal Reserve pumping up the economy as a solution to the Depression. So the Depression was over in about 18 months, and then we were off to the roaring 20s, but unfortunately, the Fed was inflating also during the 1920s, and we know what happened in October 1929, the stock market crash. Herbert Hoover was elected a year earlier, and he was one of those um, uh, activists presidents who said we got it, the federal government's got to get step in there to uh, 
make sure the unemployment rate doesn't skyrocket and business bankruptcies don't increase. And he did everything wrong. He increased taxes, he increased spending. The Federal Reserve was pumping up the money supply, even though uh, banks were failing, so the money supply was contracting from that end. And it was a total mess. And um, the economy drifted into a, a, a depression where unemployment rate went to 25%. And I think we're on the verge of having something similar like that at the end of this decade. And I'll be laying out the case of that on November 4th. Well, uh, anybody that's uh, anywhere in the neighborhood um, will want to go there. Is there a website where they can... Uh yeah, if you go to the Mises.org website, M-I-S-E-S.org, uh, you can click on the, uh, the the link to the, to the uh, event and you can see all the speakers and their topics. And I'll be talking about the the relationship between oil prices and the stock market and um, and all the financial crises we've had throughout American history and why I think another one is coming up by the end of this decade that will be probably the greatest in American history, not the greatest in terms of good, the greatest in terms of the depth and the uh, possible duration of it because uh, uh, we've had decades and decades, Gary, as you well know, of money printing and government spending and the welfare warfare state has expanded under both Republicans and Democrats and you've got to have a correction to all these distortions and that's what they are, they're distortions uh, to the free market. And in my presentation, I, I will uh, give a sort of tutorial on what a free market is all about and show all the data uh, using the charts that I put together of why what we have today is totally unsustainable and that we need to go back to what founded this country, which is free markets and limited government. But um, it's been a uh, hundred years or more of, uh, of mission creep from a limited government republic prior to uh, World War I, to where we are, this massive welfare, welfare state, with $33 trillion in debt, $7 trillion in expenditures, $2 trillion in annual deficit, the Federal Reserve print, printing trillions of dollars, regulations widespread across the economy, and we are so far from the original vision of the founders that most people think what we have today is, quote, normal, and my job as an educator and as a commentator is to point out what we have today is not what the original intent was of the founders, at least most of them, although there were corny capitalists uh, like Alexander Hamilton and Robert Morris and others who wanted to have big government back in the um, early days of the Republic. And here we are 240 years later, and we basically have their vision implemented in the country today with all the attendant problems that economists from the Wall Street School and other free market uh, points of view have uh, predicted. And so uh, we have a lot of work to do to get the American people to realize that uh, if we continue on this track, we are going to end up in a very bad place financially, economically, and now, of course, with what's happening in the Mideast, um, geopolitically. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've been trying for years. Uh, you write in your column last night in a statewide televised address, President Biden stated that he will seek or ask Congress to pass a major aid package for both Ukraine and Israel. Uh, you go on to say, we learned the president wants to provide $61 billion to Ukraine, $14 billion to Israel, $9 billion of humanitarian assistance, $2 billion for Indo-Pacific security. The Congress will vote on the package, even though Republicans have not yet chosen the Speaker of the House, uh, although they may today, by the way. Uh, in his address, Biden reassured, uh, I'm sorry, re resurrected the flawed domino theory of 60 years ago. 
This was when we were in Vietnam. We didn't stop Vietnam, a country we're now right. trading actively with uh, yeah. and travel to and fro. Oh, if we didn't stop them, uh, the domino theory, every other country would start to fall. So Biden transmitted this in terms of the Arab-Israeli conflict or Russia and Ukraine or both? Well, you have people coming on TV uh, and it's sad for them to not realize uh, uh, nationalistic policies and uh, self-interested countries. They say if, uh, if we don't stop Putin in Ukraine, he's going to go to Poland, he's going to go into God knows where else in Europe. And it, listen, we know it's very expensive to have an empire. I mean, look at all the money we're spending, $900 billion on the so-called Defense Department. Uh, Russia is not a wealthy country. It can't afford to have an empire. And um, we, we've demonstrated that with all the deficits we have. So the, the flawed notion is that Putin wants to rule the world, and there's no evidence of that. This is the, this is the propaganda out of the neoconservatives in both political parties. We have a bipartisan consensus that uh, America should be the policeman of the world. And that's really what's driving American policy, plus uh, the military-industrial complex. And they love uh, to spend money on military preparedness and occasionally a shooting war. And we've had um, 20 years in Afghanistan, uh, eight years or 10 years in Iraq, and now they're itching to get into another war. And, of course, we're supplying material to Ukraine, so, and, and we're going to be helping Israel. So the question is, what does this lead to? And I think we're, we are on the verge of uh, a major regional conflict, which could end up being the uh, tripwire for World War III. I think that very well could happen. Communist China is sending uh, their navy into the Middle East. We've got uh, uh, Iran, which is a satellite for, for Russia. Uh, and so if we, in, in this constant call out uh, for us to, to go after uh, Iran, is scary because they're nuclear armed. So is Israel. So is China. So is Russia. And as, of course, we all know, the United States. And, you know, if a couple of those missiles get fired in exchange, the next thing you know it, we're on the road to annihilating half the population of the globe. Well, this is why uh, a very smart person, Albert Einstein, said World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. And that's why, uh, as President Kennedy said uh, during his administration, cut short, we know what happened 60 years ago, November 22nd, 63, he said the first uh, responsibility of, of the government is to prevent war. That's what he said. And uh, we, we failed that. Uh, Johnson failed it. Nixon failed it. Uh, the Bush uh, presidencies failed it. We've been in a, either preparing for war or in war uh, throughout the whole post-war, post-World War II period. And it just shows you the failure of the nation-state around the world that um, nations uh, cannot uh, come together and uh, live in peace. I don't have any uh, complaints against the Russian people. I don't know anybody in Russia. Actually, I do know one, one person in Russia, but she's an American. So, I mean, it's all these the geopolitical nature of, of um, nation-states is what drives war. The average person doesn't want war because a brother gets killed, a husband gets killed, a son gets killed. Uh, what benefit is that to, to the people? And we, as we saw in Vietnam, you cannot win against the guerrilla war. That, that, and the French knew, uh, were defeated, and America left in 1975. We couldn't uh, subdue uh, the Viet Cong of the North Vietnamese, and, uh, and it was basically a civil war between the South and the North, and so we never learned our lesson. Now you have a, 
a regional conflict between Russia and Ukraine and Israel and Hamas. And if they don't get to the negotiating people, whatever happens to diplomacy? Why do we have a State Department if we don't have people sitting at a table and ironing out their differences? That's the way they should be doing it. It'd be a lot cheaper, I'll tell you that. Professor Murray Sabrin at Substack.com. MurraySabrin.substack.com. Prolific author, economist extraordinaire. Thank you for being with us. Great to be with you, Gary. Have a good week. All right, you too. Take care. Glad to have you on. Rand Paul going after Fauci. And it appears the case has been made. John Stossel brings it to the table. We'll get that to you. Next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 22, 23 minutes after 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. And coming up shortly from uh, the Epic Times, Andrew Thornbrook is going to be with us. He's their national security reporter. And uh, this whole Middle East uh, brouhaha is part of his milieu. So we'll have him on to talk about what's going on over there and what possible outcomes could be depending on what player does what. We'll find out. He'll be with us just a few minutes at uh, 10.35. In the meantime, uh, you watched as uh, Rand Paul went after phony Fauci and the exchanges were were vicious on both parts, uh, particularly phony Fauci. But it appears that uh, Senator Paul was right. John Stossel uh, did an interview with him, covered it. Very interesting. And that's now. Gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. Remember when Senator Rand Paul accused Anthony Fauci of funding China's Wuhan virus lab? I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating. The media immediately criticized Senator Paul. Rand Paul, stop it. You look like an idiot. Dr. Anthony Fauci blasting Senator Rand Paul. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. Anthony Fauci once again forced to call Rand Paul a sniveling moron. <laughs> but some now have changed. Major shift. NIH admits funding risky research in Wuhan. Paul might have been on to something. To me, it's not so much about them admitting or apologizing. It's really about trying to prevent this from happening again in the future. Paul also pushed the then-controversial idea that COVID began with a lab leak. All you, the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab, including yourself. Did COVID leak from this lab, which did experiments funded by the U.S. government? The media told us, no, COVID came from an animal. The working theory is someone butchered a bat, came into contact with its blood or urine, and then touched his or her nose or mouth. Everybody was saying, came from animals, from bats. I initially was there too. Then there became reports of 80,000 animals being tested, no animals with it. No animals with COVID, but... We know that three people in the Wuhan lab got sick with a virus of unknown origin in November of 2019. And that was more than a thousand kilometers away from where bats live. Exactly. Not only that, lab leaks are common. Accidents do happen. Labs in Singapore, Taiwan, and China accidentally infected themselves with SARS. SARS escaped from labs. So did smallpox, anthrax, and flu. Now the FBI and others agree with Senator Paul. The Department of Energy has concluded COVID-19 likely came from a lab leak in China. So evil Chinese scientists in a lab 
funded by America? Uh, America funded it, and I think it was uh, maybe not done with evil intentions. It was done with misguided notion that gain-of-function research was safe. Gain-of-function research? That can mean making viruses stronger. They sometimes create viruses that don't exist in nature that are now more infectious. They've gained the function of lethality or infectiousness by com being combined in a lab. They're trying to find ways to stop right. disease. But many scientists have now looked at this and said, we've been doing this gain-of-function research for quite a while. The likelihood that you create something that creates a vaccine that's going to help anybody is pretty slim to none. The media is weirdly uncurious about this. We have a disease that killed maybe 16 million people worldwide, about a million people in America and they're not curious as to how we got it. You're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. Senator Paul details his arguments in this new book, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. It points out that Fauci once justified the risks of gain-of-function research. He said in 2012, even if a pandemic occurs, if a scientist becomes infected and the community becomes infected, the knowledge is worth it. Well, that's a judgment call, and I would say there's probably 16 million families around the world who might disagree with that now. Dr. Fauci didn't give your money directly to the Chinese lab. He gave it to a nonprofit called EcoHealth. EcoHealth Alliance is working on the ground to stand between you and the next pandemic. EcoHealth Alliance. Most Americans haven't heard of it. They were able to uh, accumulate maybe over $100 million in U.S. taxpayer dollars, and a lot of it was funneled to Wuhan. EcoHealth is run by zoologist Peter Dazak set our sights on the next pandemic. We can stop it emerging, we can save lives. Before the pandemic, Dezak bragged about combining coronaviruses in Wuhan in hopes of creating a vaccine. My colleagues in China did the work. You create pseudoparticles, you, look, you insert the spike proteins from those viruses, see if they bind to human cells. And each step of this, you move closer and closer to this virus could really become pathogenic in people. The spread of a new deadly disease. Once COVID broke out, Dezak was less eager to talk about the experiments he funded. Peter Dezak has refused to reveal his communications with the Wuhan lab. And I do think that uh, ultimately there is a great deal of culpability on his part. In addition, Dezak and Fauci got other scientists to sign this letter published in a prestigious medical journal saying they strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. They squelched all dissent and said you're a conspiracy theorist if you're saying this, but they didn't reveal that they had a monetary self-incentive to cover this up. We asked Azak to answer the claims in this video. He didn't respond. To give you an example of who he is and how the money changes hand, this is a guy who has $15,000 cocktail parties at the Cosmo Club in D.C., invites Anthony Fauci and others there for cocktails. They're really criticizing science because I represent science. I think he is the defender of the funding of science, the business of science. And what about the NIH run by our government? They are still funding gain-of-function research. Yeah, absolutely. This is a risk to civilization because we could wind up with a virus that's 50% lethal that leaks out of a lab and kills half of the planet. Wow. Nicely done. Uh, once again, a libertarian pointing out uh, the, the evils of big government. It's amazing how many times bad things that happen to us happen to us because of big government. And that's what you just experienced there. Uh, that piece is uh, from John Stossel. You can, uh, you can see it at uh, Reason Magazine, reason.com. 
in the meantime, coming up, the Epic Times. I'm telling you, I, I subscribe. You should, too. Andrew Thornbrook is going to be with us. Give us a recap of what's going on in the Middle East on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 1035, glad to have you with us. And uh, from the Epic Times, Andrew Thornbrook joins us. Uh, he has uh, been following this uh, tumult in the Middle East. Andrew, welcome to the program. Uh, we keep hearing that Israel is on the verge. They're getting ready. They're lined up. They're set to go, but n they haven't been going. Is there a chance that uh, they're going to not really storm uh, the area, but rather selectively look for the leadership of uh, um, th this uh, uh, radical group? Or what's, what's the plan? Do we know? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Gary. Uh, you know, we really don't know. I, I think it's a lot of hush-hush. Uh, there has been uh, a massive buildup. It, it looks, for all intents and purposes, like Israel is preparing to enter Gaza. It's looked like that for well over a week now. Uh, but, but there are a lot of hurdles, and I, I think Israel is really trying to come to terms with that and the fact that they, they may well not be prepared for a long-term occupation of Gaza, particularly following the, the bombardment there. Uh, so they may look to focus more uh, on trying to take out Hamas leadership with precision strikes over a more prolonged campaign, but uh, it, it really does remain to be seen. You know, strategically, there are so many pitfalls uh, you got Hezbollah uh, coming out of Lebanon. Uh, you've got uh, Iran's influence and their threat. Uh, the fact that uh, they're on the verge of being a nuclear power. You've got China sending warships in there. Uh, Russia's connection to Iran. This one misstep, uh, it could be devastating. It could literally be a world war. That's absolutely right. And I think that's the big fear here is uh, Israel really does have to walk a fine line. I know it's very difficult, I'm sure, for the Israeli people to, to grapple with that. But there is a fine line. And the harder they push, particularly concerning a prolonged occupation in Gaza or civilian casualties mounting in Gaza, and the more that's publicized in the information space, of course, there's a whole information warfare aspect of this, you know, the more likely uh, they could really draw in regional powers or even non-state actors from Lebanon, from the West Bank, from Jordan, uh, all trained by Iran. You know, th this could very easily become a situation in which Israel is really in a fight for its actual continued existence and sovereignty. So they have to be constantly balancing how far do we go to strike at Hamas versus what can we do to deter wider conflict, which is, of course, why, why the United States is now in the region to help deter that wider conflict. Erdogan has uh, suggested that he would moderate uh, and, and see if he could find a way to sort of iron things out. Is he being taken seriously, do you know? Well, it depends by who. Uh, certainly not by Israel. I think we're, we're sort of in a, a situation now where this is one of the problems where Israel is very reluctant to be taking any mediation from a lot of these predominantly Muslim countries, specifically because their populations and leadership fall very, very firmly in favor with uh, you know, the Palestinian statehood movement, the nationhood movement. Um, 
and there's a lot of bad blood, obviously, going back all the way to 1940s, 1947, uh, in terms of Israel's relations with these countries. Uh, on the other hand, those countries are very skeptical of any Israel-led or even perhaps United States-led effort to mediate. And so I think there's, right now, what we've seen is a lot of back and forth, and a lot of reliance, perhaps, uh, on these states with ambiguous uh, relations to terror groups such as Qatar um, being brought in to try to negotiate hostage release. And it, it, it remains to be seen how that will translate into political negotiations and try to prevent this from really just spiraling out of control. Does this strengthen the hand for communist China or even for Putin to swoop in and say, look, I'm not on either side, um, I'll play the moderator? Uh, well, yes and no. So, so both China has is sweeping in. China is actually sending its own uh, force of naval vessels to try to uh, essentially mirror U.S. action. They're now saying, "Oh, we are here to try to deter conflict." And we've seen China systematically try to strip away U.S. influence in the Middle East for the last several several years, uh, trying to broker their own peace deals, trying to build up this image of the Chinese Communist Party as an alternative the United States internationally as a new way of uh, forming uh, an international uh, community around these authoritarian concepts. Uh, you know, this they would claim respect for sovereignty, right? Um, <laughs> however, it would be wrong to view them in any way as a neutral party. Uh, within hours of the October 7th attack in Israel, you had a foreign ministry comment from communist China immediately demanding a ceasefire. This is before Israel had even fired back, uh, and also demanding that Israel recognize an independent Palestinian state. This was their response to the Islamic attack on Israel. Uh, so I don't think anyone, we're in a very unfortunate situation because no one is actually taking anyone seriously as a neutral party. Uh, and so that's something we're going to have to work very hard uh, to overcome. Yeah, we're going to have to hope those UFOs that uh, have been sighted, uh, somebody comes down and from a third planet. Uh, if, if right, just, says, listen, I, I've observed it all. Here's the answer to your problem. Yeah. Andrew Thornbrook is with us from the Epic Times. And uh, we're talking about this, uh, this whole conflict uh, in the Middle East. And, uh, you know, I don't, I just, I don't see, my instinct would be to go plow them under. And I think that was Israel's instinct right from the get-go. Uh, but I think cooler heads are prevailing, and the plow them under um, uh, attitude is is uh, slowly uh, being uh, curtailed. But I wonder somewhere uh, somewhere down the road uh, if they're able to put a deal together with Saudi Arabia and uh, everybody else from the uh, uh, Abraham Accords, if that isolates Iran and enough that you know they cool down, uh, or do you think that would just make them hotter the iranians yeah so this is one of those situations very interesting um I, I certainly think israel the first week uh in carrying out large precision strikes taking out hamas, hamas leadership was, was right on track uh but now we are seeing i think the more israel sticks to this sort of brutal bombardment plow them under uh tactic uh the more actually it, you uh israel Israeli troops will suffer in the long run because they're going to lose any 
willpower among the Gazans specifically to uh, tolerate an Israeli presence there. Um, so cooler heads in this situation do have to prevail in, in paving a long-term strategy. Uh, everyone has been, from the Israeli side, from the U.S. side, mostly international community understands there can be no Hamas administration in Gaza again. Uh, there is going to have to be the dreaded regime change that we've seen so much of in recent decades. Um, the problem right now is figuring out what that regime will be, how to put it in place, how to support it. It's very clear that the Arab world will not accept uh, a regime that appears to be you know, put in place by Israel or the United States that would just simply not be accepted. Um, and so there's gonna be, I, I think, a, a lot of work to be done trying to figure out how do we build a viable economy and government in Gaza with Gazans uh, that does not ultimately lead to a resurgence of terror against Israel. My instinct is to beware foreign entanglements, to get everybody that's an American military representative the hell out of there. Uh, and, you know, it reminds me of my father when my uh, sister and I used to, when we were really, really young, we'd fight and he'd say, well, I'll, you know, here, I'll give you both boxing gloves, go out in the backyard. Um, just go ahead and duke it out. <laughs> By the way, she was older than me and bigger than me at the time, just so people know. <laughs> and, it, and it never did happen. Just let me follow that. But there's that instinct of, you know, just they're going to fight. They've been fighting for thousands of years. Let them have at it. And, and get our people the hell out. Uh, that's my attitude anyway. Uh, listen, you want to find out what's going on in the Middle East. You want a really good unbiased opinion. About literally everything, but you go to the Epic Times and in the Middle East, you read about uh, what Andrew Thornbrook has to say. Andrew, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. It's a real pleasure. All right, take care. Glad to have you on. Up against the clock, coming back. Oh man, eight seven four ninety three ninety toll free eight hundred five two nine five five seven two. We got a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time to do it in, and we will hit it. Oh, my. Breaking news. Uh, wow. That is a... Uh... Apparently, the Department of Justice subpoenaed uh, phone messages and email logs of people working on Capitol Hill that were probing uh, the Russian hoax. If if you're a Republican and, and you're probing this whole Russia connection that was alleged by Hillary Clinton and the Democrats, the FBI was tapping into your emails and phone messages. That, somebody ought to get hung for that. Now, what, now watch somebody say, oh, that Gary, he wants to curb violence. That's just a saying. But somebody ought to be punished and punished pretty damn severely. Uh, there is a firm out there called Empower Oversight. Uh, and they sent a letter to the Attorney General. Uh, they used a, a Freedom of Information Act uh, to get this information. And apparently, and it's been confirmed, by the way, the Federalist independently, uh, independently confirmed uh, that uh, at least one staffer on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence got the same notice from Google of a subpoena that was issued uh, by a, a Washington, D.C. grand jury in 2017. The date proves significant, they said, because the deputy attorney general, that's Rod Rosenstein, 
had repeatedly and reportedly uh, threatened to subpoena the personal records of the staffers during a heated uh, January 2018 closed-door meeting concerning the oversight request uh, from the DOJ. But uh, based on the Google notice sent out last week to the subpoena's target, the DOJ had already executed that threat. So these people who thought this was a a load of Bravo Sierra, a big steaming pile of Bravo Sierra, the whole Russia collusion, they got investigated, their emails were read, their voicemails were listened to. The Empower Oversight letter takes to task the Department of Justice for undertaking what appears to be, quote, an extensive and far-reaching effort to use grand jury subpoenas and perhaps other means to gather the personal communications records of innocent congressional staffers and their families with no legitimate predicate. I don't even know what to tell you. I I don't even know what to say. Just because they were investigating this and and uh, arguing that the Democrats were wrong, they had their private emails and voice messages uh, tapped. How powerful, how omnipotent has the Justice Department and the federal government gotten? How omnipotent have they become at every level? That's really abuse of power. That should be that is that is a criminal abuse of power. And it's happening right here in the United States and my guess is nobody'll be held accountable. Nobody will be held accountable. I um, I don't know if, if you've seen this or not, but apparently Meta is being sued by attorneys general in fourteen different, forty-two different states, and what they're arguing is that Instagram and Facebook, the social media platforms, are addictive. And aimed at kids and teens. And so they're being sued. And, you know, what they're arguing essentially is that Instagram and Facebook have, are, are so entertaining that teenagers are, are using it too much. Ergo, they're in trouble. This would be like saying, uh, do you remember the movie Titanic, Brian, that uh, yes. all those teenage girls were going to watch? Yep. Uh, It it was a huge success because these girls were addicted. They were going back over and over and over watching the movie. Maybe they should have sued the director of that movie for making a movie that was so entertaining that people kept going. These girls kept going back to entertaining, addicting. Yeah. Uh, And that's what it was. Isn't that isn't this the goal of every business? You know, I, I now represent several businesses in, in Colombia that I think are terrific businesses. I, I, I look at them and I think, wow, these people are great. 
They have a great product. They have a great price. I've checked them out six ways from Sunday, and I endorse them. What they want to do, and I don't care if you're talking about CC City Broiler or Dryer's Shoes Store, uh, any of them. What, what do they want? To, they want to dominate the market. They want those customers. They want everybody who wants to eat a good meal to go to CC's. Uh, they want everybody who wants a great pair of shoes or boots uh, to go to to dryer shoe store. Uh, you know, Como Premium Exteriors wants everybody who wants to do any remodeling outside to go to them. That's the whole point of making a product is to sell it. And these people are suing them because they did such a good job. <laughs> you can't make it up. No. And this is not, uh, my guess is, this is not from the political left. These lawsuits are a demonstration of the bipartisan priority state law enforcers that have placed protecting kids on the, This is Democrats and Republicans. This is everybody complaining that a company whose job it was to create an app or a website that would bring as many customers to the table as they could, uh, th th blaming them for being successful at doing it. This is, a, you know, another sign of the omnipotence of the government. You know what? If you've got kids, it's your job to moderate how long they get on the uh, on an app or a phone or the the World Wide Web, whatever you want to call it. It's up to you to dictate that. You're the parent. This is, this is like the sort of nonsense you heard in the 1950s. Oh, that Elvis Presley. Oh, man, we got to ban his records. We're breaking them up and throwing them away. He's, uh, the uh, rock and roll is evil incarnate. Oh, man, those Rolling Stones and the Beatles and the long hair and all these old fogies telling young people how to live. So I recall they did that with some video games, too, were complaining they're just too addictive for kids. You can't, you can't allow that to get out. You, you're taking the responsibility of the parent and giving it arbitrarily to some bureaucrats in the Capitol. If you don't want your kid on TikTok, you take him off TikTok. If you don't want your kid on Facebook or Meta, you take him off. Or her. It's up to you. You don't want your kid drinking a lot of uh, Coca-Cola. It's up to you. You're the parent. You teach. You lead. Your job. All right, LGBTQ in Columbia coming up in the next segment on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show 